I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to 2024, the year of election insanity, Panicking responsibly, as my friend and guest of this show, Katie Harbath, is so very famous for saying, and the Big Ten finally, maybe, actually winning the college football playoff championship. Today, we're also going to take a look back at all of the insanity that unfolded while we were on break. And, of course, it's 2024. It's the first show of the year, and that means predictions for the year ahead as we always do, right here on Critical Thinking. Welcome into Critical Thinking for 2024. Yes, it is just me, myself, and I. Unfortunately, Pat and I's schedules just are not working out in terms of us being able to get on the program for the prediction episode um, like we thought we might be able to. That is life such as being a parent and all of the things that are changing for Pat and my schedule and all of that wonderful goodness. So with that being said, I'm going to fly solo and you're going to see a little bit of a new look to the program. And please bear with me as I'm working through some of the graphic stuff here on the program, like the intro and all of those things, but know that we've got a new logo know that we've got a lot of things coming your direction right here on Critical Thinking. So with that having been said, where are we going on today's program? Well, first, make sure you follow us, and that's me. I am at The Coppin Show. You can follow on X, formerly Twitter. You can follow on Facebook. You can follow on Instagram, which is Critical Thinking Show. You can do all sorts of wonderful goodness. We are looking to up this social media game a little bit in 2024, but do not forget you can watch the show on X. You can watch on our Rumble channel, rumble.com backslash critical thinking, and you can subscribe, download, rate, review the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, however it is set up there. These are all free things that you can do to help grow this show. So a very simple thing to do. 
Just simply follow us, like us, rate us, review us, like the video, give it a thumbs up, heart it on X, whatever. All of it exposes us to more people. And the more people that want to critically think, the better this show will be and the better our society will be, at least in my view. Now, with that being said, we have got a ton to get into on today's program, and I wanted to highlight, um, let's just say, I don't know, four of the most insane things, whether that's takes or whatever have you, over this past weekend. And number one on this list is Ohio Governor Mike DeWine vetoes a supermajority bill that passed both the Ohio legislature and its Senate. And that bill revolved around so-called gender-affirming care and trans girls, which are really just men or boys competing as girls in the state of Ohio. And this is Mike DeWine for you. To sign House Bill 68, or were House Bill 68 to become law, Ohio would be saying that the state, that the government, knows better what is medically best for a child than the two people who love that child the most, the parents. Now, while there are rare times in the law, in other circumstances, where the state overrules the medical decisions made by the parents, I can think of no example where this is done, where it is not only against the decision of the parents, but also against the medical judgment of the treating physician and against the judgment of the treating team of medical experts. Therefore, I cannot sign this bill as it is currently written. And just a few minutes ago, I vetoed the bill. Hold up. Wait a minute. What are you talking about? Now, the libertarian side of me says, well, shouldn't we actually listen to parents and allow them to do what is medically and societally or culturally or whatever? Um, Shouldn't we allow parents the freedom to do as they need to do or want to do for their children? I don't disagree with that as a libertarian, right? But here's the rub with this. Mike DeWine attempting to sound libertarian and attempting to sound as if the science, quote-unquote, is settled, just like he attempted to tell us that during COVID. The science is far from settled on this. In fact, the science tends to tell us that even those who have quote-unquote so-called gender-affirming care while they are teenagers, there is no evidence. Most studies show no evidence whatsoever of a change in suicidality, suicide ideations, um, suicides, um, or a change in the happiness level, if you will, of those who get so-called gender-affirming care. And 
while this is tempting to sound like and be a libertarian position, it is far from a libertarian position here, Mike DeWine. And no, he is not a libertarian, but note that he is attempting to cudgel you with a quote-unquote libertarian thought here. There's a problem with it because most libertarian thought starts with do no harm or if I'm doing this, it can't harm somebody else, right? So whatever action I'm going to take cannot be harmful. If you are doing gender-affirming care, quote-unquote, is that harming? Is that helping? Is that somewhere in the middle? The science is far from settled, like I said. In fact, for a lot of people, in fact, especially for those who are becoming trans boys, a.k.a. biological females, turning to trans boys, the suicide rate actually increases. It actually gets worse, not better. Lest we forget the Nashville shooting in 2023, which was a trans boy, a.k.a. biological female, committing this act. Lest we forget the numerous studies that show that that population experiences significant increases in all sorts of negative outcomes from so-called gender-affirming care. What scientist should we be listening to? What doctor should we be listening to? The one that has a absolute financial gain at hand for these types of surgeries, these types of medical procedures, uh, puberty blocking, years and years and years of physical medical care instead of mental medical care? Oh. Or are you going to listen to the overwhelming, as you like to put it, Mr. DeWine, Mr. Governor, the overwhelming evidence of psychiatric care, the overwhelming evidence of psychiatrists and medical mental health professionals who tell us that this is a really serious thing that needs mental health help. And oftentimes, these individuals end up, later on, finding the coping mechanisms and skills to deal with it and no longer want to physically alter themselves in a permanent way. Lest we forget that, you know, chopping off bits of yourself is an irrevocable Scenario. You are saying that parents, whether the child wants to, lest we forget about the medical case in Texas that is now in California, that one parent could say, you know what, um, I, I, I'm going to Munchausen by proxy my son into believing he's a girl or vice versa. That's the person that gets this decision? 
What about the other parent? What about the best interest of the child themselves? Wouldn't our society be better off if prior to becoming an adult, whether we believe that to be 18, 21, or 25, and I would suggest that biologically, 25 is likely that age of adulthood, especially for something like this, especially for something that the culture of academia and schooling and all of that has told you you must accept and it must be a thing now. That was never something discussed in school when I was there 20 years ago, 23 now years ago. Never a thing that anybody ever thought to discuss, whether that was a teacher, whatever, let alone somehow affirm as a good thing for the individual society, whatever have you. The point in the matter in all of this is that this has become a trendy, a trendy thing. This has not become a new medical phenomenon. No, this hasn't become something that we genetically or whatever or DNA or whatever. Um, oh, we found the, the, the DNA sequence or the gene that portends to trans ideology. Wait, I mean, uh, being a, a, a transhuman. No. No. It, it's here. And this goes for other medical procedures that are purely cosmetic in nature. I think making those individuals, for instance, here's a great example of this. I don't believe under the age of 18 that you probably should be allowed to go ahead and get a tattoo. But isn't that uh, anti? No, it's not because you are not of a consenting mind at that point in my view. If I am to take the opposite view, I also must then believe that anybody under the age of 18 should be able to consent to sex, should be able to consent to drugs, alcohol, all of those things. I don't think that has necessarily great consequences or great outcomes, I should say, for society, if I believe that. What I do believe, though, is that after the age of consent, after the age of reason or whatever you want to say, 18, 21, 25, whatever it might be, that you should definitely be allowed to make those decisions for yourself. But notice it is for yourself, not because your parents decide for you or that the parents get to make a decision and the government shouldn't tell parents what to do. I don't disagree with that on a basic premise. I don't. But when it comes to life-altering decisions, body-altering decisions, when it comes to things that are ear 
removable, irrevocable in nature. I certainly do believe that there is a role for government to say, hang on, let's at least wait until you have matured some more. Let's go ahead and get you the mental health care you need first. Let's go ahead and get that step going, and then let's see where you are. Does anybody think that, uh, was it Dylan Mulvaney? Does anybody think that these so-called famous TikTok individuals who are promoting trans ideology, do you think that they look feel, act, talk in a healthy, normal manner. They're all of age still. There's clearly something missing, clearly something that is not ticking the boxes for them. And I hope you understand what I am speaking on here is Mike DeWine's tendency to say government needs to stay out of parents' business. That's all fine and dandy until the parents force a child to get a medical procedure that they don't need, that is life-altering, all of those things. The government should have a role in saying, no, you don't get to make that decision as parents. We're saying, we're, this isn't it. We are not saying that any child shouldn't be able to get this. What we are saying is that anybody under a certain age, a certain maturity level, a certain understanding, having not gone through anything on the mental side of this, no. No, that's not right. That's not responsible. That's not good for society. Is that or is that not part and parcel of the role of government? Not to tell you individually what is good for you, what is bad for you, da-da-da-da-da. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the government has a role in at least saying, hang on, parents and minors, because of development, do have a hold on life-altering decisions. Again, why then could a 14-year-old not get a driver's license versus a 16-year-old? Other places, you must be 18 to have a license, but you can be 16 and have a beer. Other places, it's 19 to get a license, not 16. But... There's a difference between getting a license and a life-changing physical modification. What do I mean by that? Just because you are 16 doesn't mean you have to get a license, right? And now, yes, it is true that just because you are 16 and quote-unquote going through trans whatever doesn't mean that you have to get the surgery. I'm not saying that. No, nobody is saying that. But I think we do a good for the individual, for the parents, for the society, all three of them, by saying, let's just hold off until you're at least 18 or 21 or 25, whatever we decide is a proper course. 
18 in consultation with your doctors, having gone through all of the other medical hoops, right? Insurance has a role in this too, by the way, saying, no, we're not going to pay for the surgery without previous, you know, bomb, 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 bomb steps being uh, taken care of, including mental health being addressed. That's the point that I am trying to make here, okay? I believe that there is a role in some cases for government to say, mm, not so much. But Mike DeWine attempting to tell us that this is about doing something for medicine, that it's just about medicine. No, it's not. This is about kowtowing to leftist ideology, which he has done over and over and over and over again, especially when it came to COVID. This is the exact same stuff and stunts that he pulled when it came to COVID in the state of Ohio. That's the reality here, is that he believes in an expert class, that he believes that they, meaning the experts, have it right all the time. And if we just listen to them, it is totes okay for minors to get these surgeries. Except for I can get a quote-unquote expert, a leftist expert in medicine, because guess what? At medical college after medical college after medical college after medical college, they're all leftists. Take a look at what you have to quote-unquote pledge at Harvard Medical School or Princeton or Yale or hell, University of Wisconsin, or wherever. Look what you have to pledge while taking medical school courses, further indoctrination into leftist ideology while learning some things about actual medicine. And it just so happens that leftist ideology is in line with what? quote-unquote, gender-affirming care. Just like leftist ideology was in line with all of the so-called COVID mitigation strategies, except for none of them were actual strategies. That's insane, folks. Absolutely insane by Mike DeWine. But we're not done with absolute insanity in the terms of leftist academia because um, apparently there's now... Um, how shall I put this? Um, obese scholarship or fat scholarship? We're fat. Of course we're wearing bike shorts underneath skirts and dresses. No chubber up here. We're fat. Of course the only medical advice we've ever received is to lose weight, no matter the ailment. We're fat. Of course we grew up wearing a t-shirt over our bathing suit. We're fat. Of course we're gonna pull our shirts down over our knees to stretch them out a little bit. That's normal. We're fat. Of course, men are rude to us in public, but slide into those DMs. We're fat. Of course, I've done the Weight Watchers diet. Slim fast. Jenny Craig. Nutrisystem. South Beach. Kellogg's Red Berries. Atkins diet. Full 30. We're fat. Of course, we endured a childhood of internalized fat phobia, only to find fat scholarship later in life and discover that anti-fatness is rooted in misogyny, racism, colonialism, and has evolved to be a major tool of patriarchal capitalism. And we've discovered that the way to truly make everyone better and happier is to love ourselves in a way that is rebellious and authentic. Keto. Keto? At the end of that video? Whoops. Uh, is that the actual answer? 
But if you are quote unquote anti-fat, you're a racist colonizer and capitalist pig. Fat scholarship is about anti-racism, anti-capitalism, and uh, anti-colonialism. I just... (laughs) Huh? Again, leftist ideology. This is what you are paying for, by the way, for your public education on a higher level, allegedly. I, I just... So, are we? I, I'd love to know this on the colonization process here. Are, are you? Because you're both white in this video, by the way. So, are you saying that you are racist, or is it because you're fat you can't be racist, and because you're fat you can't be a colonizer, or is it because? Or are you saying that we're colonizing because we love fat? I'm trying really hard here, just super, I, I just, no, I just, I just can't with that. But then, lest we forget the insanity of COVID, um, Taylor Lorenz is here to remind us all that, um, well, apparently you're all a bunch of eugenicists if you do not want to do, wait for it, masking again. She tweeted this out over the holiday break. <clears throat> and a lot of you are still flying around the country unmasked in planes and airports, spreading a deadly slash disabling disease and participating in eugenics. And now this is um, after a report that had come out from Axios saying that the fast spreading COVID-19 variant known as JN.1 is now the most prevalent in the U.S., according accounting for more than 44% of cases as the virus expands domestically and, and then dot, 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 dot. Um, the, the, the point of this is that we're supposed to panic again because there's a new variant out there. I'm, I'm just going to quickly say this to Taylor Lorenz and, and, that ilk. Um, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. In fact, well, it actually is. See, there's new variants of all sorts of viruses and diseases and all sorts of things all the time. All the time. It is why you, when you go and get a flu shot, again, I've said this a thousand times on this program and I'm going to make it a thousand and one or a millionth in one. It is why when you get a flu shot, you need to know whether or not they've hit the right, wait for it, variant or not. On the average, it's about a 40 to 60% chance that they've hit the right strain, the right variant of influenza that year. And if it is less than 50%, there's literally no point in getting the vaccine because it uh, doesn't work more often than not. If it's in the 60 or better percent range for certain populations, that does make some sense. Other populations, whatevs, right? It all depends on your personal body, your personal mechanics, your personal needs and wants. We said that alongside with COVID. But Axios and 
Taylor Lorenz. Oh my God, there's a new, no bleep Sherlock. There's a new variant out there. Furthermore, do you even understand what quote-unquote masking mitigation is about? If you've got it and you're wearing it, it decreases your ability to inhale it and transmit it allegedly. Now, whether it's good at it or not is in vast dispute in some medical circles. I can tell you right now, that if you speak to most doctors, even a well-fitting KN95 mask in a hospital setting is used as a broad, not a specific, but a broad mitigation mechanism and is oftentimes about making sure you're not spitting on a patient, that you are not um, introducing things like saliva into an into an open wound or a, a opening in surgery or whatever have you. That's what it's 99% of the time about. It is not about virus control or anything else. That's the reality of what masking in a hospital setting is about. The vast majority will tell you that, at least if they're honest. but we're a bunch of eugenicists for doing what? We've never done this for influenza, except for that one time in the early 20th century, the Spanish flu of 1919, right? Otherwise, we have never, ever, ever, and you have gone about living your life totally fine. How am I supposed to know you are immunocompromised? How am I supposed to be responsible for that? In no way, shape, or form is that a good thing. Just no. We're just going to say no to that. But she wasn't done. By the way, folks, not done in a bit. Then tweeting this out. Totally agree with you on the mitigation advice, but I very much judge anyone who participates in the social murder of disabled people just because it's quote-unquote the holidays. Many of us who are high risk are missing our fourth Christmas because other selfish people can't be bothered to mask and take basic precautions that allow us to safely participate in public life. They don't feel enough shame and judgment, in my opinion, instead of Instead, infection has been fully normalized. Infection has been fully normalized. So what you're saying to me is you, you're you totally cool taking your chances with a disease that actually has at least as much or maybe even, depending on your own issues, a greater chance in your age group, Taylor, of killing you. You've been totally cool with that. You've never once demanded anything of anybody in influenza season. But but again, you're doing it now. These people won't let it go. They never will. And they're the ones who hold the positions and levers of power within the leftist portions of government, lest you forget about this. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Unless you forget that they're going to use the cudgel of health to make you comply. They're going to attempt to continue to do this over and over and over and over and over again until you have completely capitulated your life to the government. It is why I am baffled that so many people are just willing to just let it go. No, these people are insane. And should you listen to them? No, you shouldn't be listening to them. But they damn well are going to attempt to make you kowtow to their will. Their will be done. Not the Lord's. Their. At the behest of government. They are going to use government as that cudgel until you submit. They're never giving up. And maybe these people like Taylor Lorenz are the fringe, but they're a very vocal fringe. And lest we forget about this idea of the Revolutionary War being popular, it wasn't. Less than 30% of the people were on the Patriot side prior to the Revolutionary War. Less than 30%. Now, you could say that this is way less than that, and you are correct. But take a look at the number of people who just willingly said, ah, oh, yeah, vax passports, and ah, oh, yeah, this, and da-da-da-da-da, for medical fear. How about screw you for calling us eugenicists, by the way? No, I'm not trying to do anything to you. And by the by, for those who have significant immune issues, it has always been a you responsibility, not a me responsibility, unless I am directly interacting with you and know that you have XYZ. For instance, those who don't have shots and things like that as babies, it is wise to not interact with people who are sick of various degrees, right? But again, that is on the parents to know that of the other people and for you to know, hey, I probably should stay away if I've got a cough or if I've got uh, the sniffles or the flu. Should probably stay away from that baby, right? It is why it is wise advice to stay home and why I think there should be real thought around the number of sick days that people are getting. And sure, it could be abuse, but it, there are ways to make sure of this, not being abused. 
But yeah, guess what? When you're not feeling good, stay home. Maybe remote work unless you've got a really bad flu or something else that is debilitating you. We as a society have to do better about being healthier for each other. But that doesn't mean we demand action of others to protect us from getting sick. That's insane from somebody who has autoimmune issues. No, I don't expect everybody to know everything that I have significant issues with. That list is long when it comes to food, when it comes to beverages, when it comes to all sorts of things. I don't expect that of others. I'm knowledgeable enough to know what things I can and can't get away with taking a small risk on or a bigger risk on or whatever have you. That's a me thing. These people are nuts. Speaking of which, let's move forward to the most insane thing I heard. Yes, the most insane thing that I heard while we were away. And this comes from Chicago's super awesome, super fragilistic, expialidocious mayor, Brandon Johnson. What is very clear is that not only are we providing uh, mental health related services as well as vaccinations and health screenings and providing um, medical health care for these families when they arrive the moment they get off those buses, we're not seeing that same treatment on the border. In other words, there's no health screenings, no vaccinations. That process at the border is absolutely raggedy and, and reckless, but we cannot have a governor who decides that he's going to uh, yeah. cling to the vestiges of Jefferson Davis when we should be uh, pulling to the hopes and aspirations that were left. Clinging to the vestiges of Jefferson Davis. I, again, I, I, I'm honestly struggling to understand in any capacity what the hell is he talking about? Is it a suggestion of racism? And Jefferson Davis not wanting quote-unquote Mexicans or something? Except for the... the they wanted Texas in the Confederacy, and, and and it was part of the Confederacy. What vestiges of Jefferson Davis? You don't have the balls to just say what you really mean and instead attempt to insinuate something because you know what you're about to insinuate is absolutely insane? Probably. Probably. I just, I, I just, the vestiges of Jefferson Davis. Folks, here in Chicago, okay, we have taken in about 24,500. So let's round it up to 25,000 of the about 80, about 83,000. So we've taken roughly a quarter of all of the people that have been bussed or put into the system by Texas here in Chicago. There are very real implications. And I don't disagree with, hey, we have to understand the health situation. We have to understand 
what what is coming into the city. But again, this is something that you, Brandon Johnson, that you, far left NGO activists on immigration, have begotten. You're reaping what you're sowing. This is the reality. And unfortunately for those of us who live here in this city, we're the ones taking on the brunt of all of this. It is going to bankrupt this city, which means more taxes, which means more insanity from the likes of Brandon Johnson and Chicago Teachers Union. This is something that is very intimate to me because I literally live right down the street from one of these shelters. I see it every single day. It is something you interact with every single day here in Chicago. It is something, by the way, the people of the border towns in Texas interact with on a every single day basis. Your beef is not with Greg Abbott. Do you think for one second that Greg Abbott would be doing this if the federal government were doing their damn jobs? And then we have the Boston mayor also on this front coming in and saying that every single human being has the right to claim asylum and be in the United States to make that claim? No. That is not the law. That is not legal in any way, shape, or form. The way to claim asylum legally in this country is to present yourself at a port of entry and claim that asylum. And then you are put into a facility awaiting adjudication of that asylum claim. Now, we have a vast issue with how we define asylum in this country. And that's the real issue in front of us, folks, is how we're claiming these asylum pieces, okay? We're just allowing anybody to make a claim and then releasing them. That's the problem here. Okay, let's be clear on what the actual problem is. We're not following a legal process because we don't have the ability to house all the people making these asylum claims because they have been sold by the very NGOs that Brandon Johnson and his ilk support. They've been sold a lie. Our government needs to be clear as to what constitutes and and clear and transparent and easy to follow. Okay, so that anybody can go on a website, anybody can pick up a piece of paper handed to them by an NGO and understand what a real asylum claim means. That's the reality. We have a very big dereliction of duty. It is not Greg Abbott, by the way, that is derelict in duty. He's... His response is a response to the federal government's dereliction of duty. And as far as the vestiges of Jefferson Davis, what are you even talking about? There are people of Asian descent, people of African descent, people of Latin American descent, people that are white, people that are of all shapes, sizes, nationalities, Arab people, there are people from literally every corner of the globe. In fact, one day, a leftist reporter, a leftist politician, went to the border, interviewed people, and found 117 countries in the group. What are you even talking about? This 
This I thought I would never say. Lori Lightfoot is smarter than Brandon Johnson. Lori Lightfoot would be better than Brandon Johnson. I would take a second term of Lori Lightfoot over this ass clown. So, will anybody in the Chicago media ask Brandon Johnson a very simple question? What vestiges of Jefferson Davis are you even talking about? What are what was that a euphemism for? I would love to know. I would love to know. Unfortunately for me in this show, uh, we don't get time. We don't get the time of day from our mayor's office here. And if I were a citizen and speaking at a city council meeting or doing anything else because I am a citizen, I would never be able to ask him this question either. All right. With all of that out of the way, it is time for us to talk about predictions for 2024. So let's get right on into it. Coming up, number one on this list is the GOP will lose in 2024, sliding us further towards dictatorship. Now, here's what I mean by the GOP is going to lose in 2024, by the by. I fervently believe that the GOP is going to lose in 2024 because they may win the Senate. But it won't be the Mike Lee, Ted Cruz variety that wins the Senate. It won't. It's just a numbers game. The the GOP is going to win more seats than the left will. It's just a reality. Joe Manchin is gone. That's likely going to go to the Republican side. You've got a number of whatever seats. But do you really think that hard, dyed-in-the-wool, real conservatives are winning primaries or going to replace leftists in the Senate? Nah. Furthermore, if you think for one second, one, that Donald Trump is going to win the presidency in 2024 this year, you're nuts. And I'm not even, by the way, talking about, well, what about all of the lawfare? What about this? What about that? By hook, by crook, by any means necessary, the left will either disqualify him or they will make him be on the ballot. And this is where I think this really is going to go. I believe that they're going to put him on the ballot. But Maine, but these, no. Here's what I think is going to happen. They're going to force, they're going to eventually see, they're going to force Donald Trump to be the nominee because they continue to attack DeSantis to attack DeSantis. That's DeSantis is like a four to one on money spent attacking the candidate to Donald Trump. It's something like $40 million has been spent attacking DeSantis to like 10 million for Trump. And it's mostly of that 40 million coming from leftist organizations. They fear DeSantis. They don't fear Trump in any way, shape or form. They don't. They know that they're going to be able to beat him, whether that's by hook, crook, or valid voter efforts. 
which I fervently believe changing the game was how they stole the election in 2020, right under the nose because of the things that Donald Trump allowed because he's super sharp and super smart and 40 chess, y'all. But the consequence of if they put Trump on the ballot in terms of the GOP winning is, well, then they could really disqualify him and win. And if that does take place from a general election standpoint, what happens? Folks, that is the last vestige of dictatorship, whether you know it or not, whether you see it or not, whether you actually understand what's going on. We are sliding further and further and further to the left, further and further and further to socialism. We are sliding further and further and further towards autocratic dictatorship in this country, whether you recognize it or not right now. That's why I fervently believe this is the final vestige. This is the final opportunity that we have for real liberty to win. And it's why we need real liberty candidates like a Ron DeSantis from the perspective of he understands the limitations of government on a federal level. I fervently believe that he is much more of an autocratic type of individual on a state level, but on a federal level, he has indicated multiple times that he believes less control, less government, less bureaucracy is good. And on a basic level, that's a win for liberty. We have to win at a basic level. We have to execute on a basic level or basically we're done. That's the reality of this situation. And I fervently believe that if Donald Trump is the nominee, it's a loss all the way around. Why? Name me one time that Donald Trump being the center, the focus, the uh, person putting the, the thumb on the scale of elections has been good for the GOP. I'm not saying that, that the GOP winning is necessarily a great thing. But I will say this, as at least is a buttress against absolute leftist dictatorship in this country. But, but I fervently believe the GOP has no plan, has no strategy, has nothing to give as an alternative right now. Has nothing. There is no coalescing message, no unification whatsoever whether you're in Team DeSantis or Team Trump, the absolute online personal destruction, where do you go from here? That infighting is not your typical, I believe this is a stronger candidate over, okay, but we hold the same beliefs. Team Trump has told you, no, you don't. Team DeSantis has told you, at least online, no, you don't. How do you come back from that? I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. I, I fervently believe that if this goes the way I think it does, and Donald Trump is the GOP nominee, again, no plan to deal with how you deal with that in a general election setting in which multiple states will attempt to ban him. He may or may not be a convicted felon at that point in time, and how do you run that? I don't care. There's no plan in place to deal with it. None. 
They, they don't understand. They don't get it. They will lose, and it will be a signal to the left to be to just come out in the open with dictatorship instead of just academically talking about it. Especially because that means Joe Biden is in power, quote unquote, and it will be a power play on Joe Biden. All right, so let's get to my second prediction here. And that second prediction is that calls for a civil war will come from the left. Calls for a civil war will come from the left. And what do I mean by this? I mean actual out-and-out calls to go hand-in-hand with this idea of dictatorship. Out-and-out calls for a real civil war. It will be open season on anybody who doesn't believe in leftist politics. It will be open season on media types. It will be open season in in the streets. If you protest against leftist you know, dictatorship and autocracy, it, if you start those things, you will be beaten in the streets. If you do that in a rural town, the city folk will come to you. They will ghettoize. They will call for a real civil war, not just talk about civil war coming or where it's going or this, that, or anything else. It won't be just talk. It will be action from the left because it's almost always from the left in Western history. That's the reality. I don't see a right-wing uprising. You might see... Oh, well, Nick Fuentes or whatever have you. Yeah, he's a leftist. He voted for Joe Biden, lest you forget about that. I just, it it will be leftists that out and out call for an actual civil war in this country, and it will be an absolutely insane, dangerous time. That is my prediction in 2024. It won't be just people talking about it. It will be actual action towards it. And I don't like where this is going. I think 2024 is going to be epically chaotic. And I just think this is part and parcel of it. All right, let's move on to number three on the prediction front. And first time home buyers will turn to new construction in a significant way. This one comes from the world of real estate, all of those things that I'm intimately involved in, obviously as a real estate agent. So if you're looking to move here in Chicago or to Chicago or out of the city, like many, 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 many people are since we're third most in the outlying of our population out of here in net migration. But I digress. But one of the things that we saw in 2023 was actually an uptick. I think it was about one third, if I'm correct, um, about about a 30% uptick in new construction this past year here in 2023. So when I look at 2024, one of the other parts of this prediction is that we're going to see problems with the group that's in the the five to seven year range. All of those people, people like myself, people like my family, right? We were in the low threes, upper fours in 2018, 
you know, all of that, right, in that five to seven year range here, okay? The incentive to move forward from a we just want to upgrade or we want something different or whatever, which is the traditional trend in real estate is that five to seven year mark of owning a home. You want to switch. You want to change neighborhoods. You want to change this or or life has changed. Okay. They're thinking twice about it because it is a significant cost increase to go from three and a half or 4% to 7% to six and a half or 6%. I fervently believe we will be somewhere throughout most of 2024 in the five and a half to six, six and a half, somewhere in that range at any given moment in 2024. So how, how do you deal with that? Also, that means there's less of the existing home inventory and you still have the millennial generation fighting for the middle of the pack as well as what other generation? The baby boomer generation fighting for the middle of the pack. Those, you know, three bed, two bath homes, those four bed, two bath homes. That might be somewhere in the, the vestige of 1,500 to, to 1,800 square feet. Okay, you're seeing a massive pool of people competing for a really small percentage of the inventory pie. Well, those who are getting the itch to move, those who are getting the itch to ditch a smaller home or to downsize, what are, what are options exist if they really need to do it? It's to build. It's to look at new construction. It's to look at the offers from... Uh, developers who are putting, uh, you know, planned subdivisions in, whatever have you. I think you're going to see a continued uptick in the production of new homes, which is actually a good thing, by the way, for the total inventory market. See, we were some 6 million homes in 2022 behind. We saw a 30% increase, and that dealt with maybe about a hundred to 200,000 of that 6 million. So we're actually seeing a decrease in the missing percentage of the needed housing in this country. But for those who need to make a move, who want to make a move, new construction is going to be a significant option for them because you're not just seeing a decrease in the interest rates for existing home sales you're also seeing a significant increase in the cost of renovating these types of homes that were largely built in the 60s and the 70s, okay? That need significant repair work. And in some cases, we're talking foundations, roofs, um, heating and cooling systems, electrical, the really significant upgrades that need to be done. Why would you take that and buy it at a premium price when you can build new get the same things for maybe a total less cost right now and then play with the rise of those home values over the next five to seven years. That's what a lot of people are starting to figure out is that new construction could be a really viable option for them. So I think that we're, that's going to be one of the stories to watch in 2024 when it comes to housing. All right, my final prediction comes from the world of sports in 2024, and that is Michigan will win the all-Big Ten college football playoff championship game. 
And yes, I know technically uh, Washington is not part of the Big Ten yet, but the Washington Huskies will be this year uh, in 2024 a member of the Big Ten. So in all intents and purposes, we've getting, we're getting ourselves an all-Big Ten matchup to epic games that took place on New Year's Day, by the way, making college football fun in an absolutely off-the-field chaotic time. But I think Michigan wins this game because they showed enough moxie on offense with really good defense. And I will say this about the Big 12 and the Pac-12 overall. Defense is not a cornerstone of winning for either one of those conferences. That's not to say that Washington cannot play defense. That is not to say that uh, Texas cannot play defense because they can. But they do not play it at a level that Michigan plays it at, that most teams in the Big Ten are capable of playing it at. They do not. It will be an absolutely fascinating matchup between Michael Penix and the Michigan defense. It will be absolutely fascinating to see if further distractions off the field from Michigan, because it's very clear that Jim Harbaugh wants nothing to do with talking about anything other than the game. We'll see if if um, that can be still an insular uh, scenario, but I trust Michigan's defense to do enough to allow its offense to do enough to win the game if you catch my drift. I think this is an absolutely fascinating, in fact, I bet dollars to donuts we see one of the best college football championship games of all time on the heels of one of the worst college football championship games of all time last season. All right, so Michigan wins. We're going to see housing increase. New housing starts increase. In fact, we've already seen it, but it's going to continue at a significant pace, which means that's good for our housing inventory, easing some of the issues that are likely to see, to be seen by an acceleration of buyers and a continued stagnation of homes on the market. So if you're a buyer and you've got trouble finding an existing home to buy, you might be looking to new construction. We also are looking towards potential for the GOP losing and we move way closer to dictatorship than ever before and the left calling for an actual civil war. Not uh, not just talking about are we in it or whatever. No, 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 no. They're actually going to call for it. Those are my predictions. Some of them sad. Some of them happy. Some of them... Um, can make people sad and happy at the same time. But with all of that being said, I hope you join me for the journey that is critical thinking here in 2024. As always, please be safe, be smart, be kind, make sure you eat all of your meals, and Matthew 547. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.